We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 174 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. The World Series will begin tonight. The Atlanta Braves at the Houston Astros at 8.09. Hold your nose in this World Series if you're a Nationals fan. Who are you going to root for? The National League East rival Braves or the cheating Astros? Now, the Astros, of course, have as their manager, the former Nats manager, Dusty Baker. I think that most people like Dusty. I like Dusty. I haven't loved how he has managed in the postseason over the years, especially how he managed in the postseason for the Nationals. But Dusty has done a really good job with the Astros. He has been snakebitten in the postseason in his managerial career. And so I would not mind Dusty winning the World Series, even though, yes, uh, that would mean another championship. Uh, for the Astros. When's the next time that we'll be talking about our Washington football team playing for a championship? We've been asking that question for, oh, I don't know, about 30 years now. Uh, Next segment, I'm going to spend some time on the Washington football team's quarterback situation at this point in the season. Washington is two and five. It sure doesn't look like Ryan Fitzpatrick is coming back anytime soon, if at all. And there's been a lot of talk about Taylor Heineke and how he's doing and whether this just is who he is and whether he should be benched. Uh, There are plenty of Washington fans right now who are done with Taylor Heineke. I'll give you my thoughts and stance on Taylor Heineke. Where are we with Taylor Heineke I'll tell you. Uh, Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, had some telling comments on where he stands 
with Taylor Heineke. You'll hear those comments as you always hear the key and pertinent audio regarding the Washington football team on this podcast. Also, I'm going to talk about Washington's defense. Nothing speaks to what Washington's defense has been this season, more than how Washington's defensive performance in the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon is being talked about. The conversation that I have heard and seen over the last 48 hours says it all. Uh, I'll explain. I'll also give you some playing time observations for Washington's defense and the loss at the Packers. And I'll post-game what went down on Monday night for the Capitals and the Wizards. For the Caps, a wild 7-5 win at the Ottawa Senators. TJ Oshie had a hat trick. Alex Ovechkin had another big game. And Ilya Samsonov was both great and awful in the game. For the Wizards, a humbling 104-90 loss at the Brooklyn Nets. The Wizards, off the euphoria from their 2-0 start, came crashing back down to earth. They got made humble, as our friend, the Iron Sheik, would say. Make him humble! Yes, Sheiky baby, make him humble. The Nets put the Wizards in the camel clutch on Monday night. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I continue to get a lot of great feedback from you guys regarding the Washington football team. Email from Kareem on the Washington football team. Writes Kareem, huge fan. Love listening to your show in the mornings when I'm on my run or going to work. Thank you for that, Kareem. Continues Kareem. Uh, been a fan of the WFT since the early 80s, and it's sad to see what has come of this franchise. I have lived in New England for the past 20 years, so as you can imagine, it's hard to tell people that you are a Redskin or WFT fan without getting an, oh, I'm sorry. I will always be a fan, but it's really hard to see this team ever getting out of its own way, both on and off the field. It will likely take an act of God or Congress, I know, wishful thinking, to change the status quo onto the mock drafts for 2022. Uh, thanks for that email, Kareem. I can only imagine living in New England and being a Washington fan. I guess that would be like living in D.C. as a Patriots fan when they were really bad and Washington was really good. You know, there is a resignation right now regarding Washington that I'm getting in a lot of emails, and I certainly feel that resignation. I mean, this season specifically is feeling more and more hopeless, and maybe that changes. Hopefully that changes, but this is where we're at right now. Uh, along those lines, email from Sean. Right, Sean. Where is the silver lining with this organization? Terrible owner, terrible stadium, constant bad public relations since 1999. No franchise quarterback since 1985. Fan base dwindling by the second. Where is the hope? It was unfathomable in 1991 to think this team would be where it is. Here we are, though. Equally unfathomable. This area not having the Washington football team. Are we close to a day where this team is relocated somewhere else? Lastly, as it pertains to the quarterback, also, where is the hope? Winning and a franchise quarterback and a new stadium in D.C. would do a lot to turn things around. However, this coach in front office believe in shopping blue dot specials for the most important position in sports. Don't want to give up draft picks to move up to get a quarterback in the draft. Don't want to spend money on a quarterback. See Mr. Process, a defensive-minded coach, despite enjoying his only success with a franchise quarterback in Cam Newton, believes he doesn't need a franchise quarterback, just a game manager. This is why you don't hire defensive coaches in the modern NFL. Where is the hope? Where is the hope, Al? Have a great day, Al. Love the podcast. 
Uh, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Uh, man, relocation for the Washington football team. I don't see that happening, okay? I mean, I never like to say never. Uh, I feel pretty confident in saying the Washington football team isn't going anywhere. Remember, Washington, D.C. is a top 10 television market. Washington, D.C. is a heavily populated market. And the Washington, D.C. market is a very rich market. You know, the counties in this area, like Montgomery County, Fairfax County, Loudoun County, these are some of the richest counties in the country. So if you're the NFL, you want to be doing business in the Washington, D.C. market. You want to have a team in the Washington, D.C. market to say nothing of the history of the Washington football team, to say nothing of how crushing it would be to so many people if the NFL moved this team. So no, I don't think that the team is going anywhere. I don't think that the team is ever going anywhere. But, you know, you bring up something like Ron Rivera having not made a stronger play for a potential franchise quarterback this past offseason. You know, that to me was about Ron not loving those quarterbacks who were realistically available, like Justin Fields and Mac Jones. And I get that, but of course, Ron better have been right on those guys. And time will tell whether Ron was right on those guys. I mean, Mac Jones, at the very least, looks like he can play. I'm not sure that his ceiling is that high, but Mac Jones has been solid for the New England Patriots. Not great, not spectacular, uh, but solid. And again, things aren't going well for our football team right now. Sean asked, where is the hope? We must keep hope alive. That's all we can do. You know, as Jesse Jackson would say, keep hope alive. Keep hope. Keep hope. Alive. Alive. Keep hope. Keep hope. Alive. Alive. Yes, Jesse, just keep saying that over and over if you're a Washington football team fan. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Uh, email from Robert Boyle on the Washington football team. Right, Robert, it's hard to believe we are 29 years and counting of awful football teams in D.C. The sad thing is this is not a rebuilding team. It is just a bad team. Frankly, I'm already sick of hearing Ron Rivera's rambling press conferences filled with nonsense and excuses. I have zero confidence his current regime can build a consistent winner. I have come to the conclusion that the only possible way out is to find a Joe Burrow can't miss type quarterback. This isn't a good enough organization to develop a raw talent rookie or get a second act out of a veteran like Ryan Tannehill. Unfortunately, this year's college quarterback class does not appear to be anything special. The hapless Bengals, much like the Colts in 1998, appear to finally have gotten lucky. Until that day comes for our team, the best we can hope for is an occasional wildcard team. Thanks for keeping us entertained through another awful season. Well, thank you for the email. Robert. So I have to tell you, I was insanely jealous watching the highlights of what the Cincinnati Bengals did at the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday afternoon. That was one of the most surprising results so far this NFL season. Not so much that the Bengals won, but how they won, right? 41-17 was the final. The Bengals blasted the Ravens in Baltimore. And seeing the Joe Burrow-Jamar Chase connection and how lethal it was. You know, there's nothing in sports as exciting as the next big thing. You know, when your team has the next big thing, that is so exciting. That is so thrilling. And as a Washington fan, I'm watching those highlights and I'm like, when is our team ever going to have something like this? When are we as Washington fans going to feel the excitement of having the next big thing 
the way that Bengals fans right now have that excitement. Because it feels like we as Washington fans are so far away from having that excitement. Joe Burrow in that game went 23 of 38 for 416 yards and three touchdowns versus one interception. Jamar Chase in that game had eight receptions for 201 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets. Oh, by the way, the former Washington running back Samaj Pirine in the game had a 46-yard touchdown run for the Bengals. See, Samaj, one of Jay Gruden's favorites. Remember in 2019 when Jay was talking up Samaj because Jay didn't want Adrian Peterson? Uh, good times. Good times indeed. Well, if having to care for your lawn is leading to a lessening of your good times because it's taking up too much of your time, call Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to, and Weedman has a special offer right now for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. If you're not satisfied with who is currently caring for your lawn, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. The best weed control, state certified seed. Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic-based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow-release nitrogen that feeds your roots slowly and effectively. You see, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn, and thus Weedman knows that a beautiful spring lawn starts now in the fall. And so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's 30% off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, a 30% discount of the usual price for those services. That phone number again is 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. I want you to get that deal. Uh, you can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right, so Sunday afternoon, we had the Washington football team falling to 2-5 and five with the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers. Monday afternoon, we had the Ron Rivera day after the game Zoom press conference. Ron addressed a variety of things going on with Washington right now, including the quarterback situation, and that's what we're going to deal with right now. So first of all, Ryan Fitzpatrick. What exactly is going on here with Ryan Fitzpatrick? He has been on the reserve injured list since September 14th due to his right hip subluxation that was suffered in the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in Week 1. NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com on Sunday morning reported that Fitzpatrick is, quote, still weeks away from returning, end quote, and is, quote, still on crutches around the facility, another sign that his comeback is not close, end quote. 
Rappaport added that, quote, while all parties are hopeful he will return this season, the rehab has gone slower than expected, and it is not a certainty that he makes it back onto the field at all. End quote. Remember, Ryan Fitzpatrick never underwent surgery on his right hip. We, on September 16th, had multiple reports that Fitzpatrick would not be undergoing surgery, at least for the time being, and instead would be rehabbing the hip. The belief at the time was that he would be out around eight weeks, putting his return at some point in November. Well, time flies when you're having fun, and we're getting closer and closer to November, and it's not sounding like this Ryan Fitzpatrick recovery is going all that well. Uh, Him being ready at some point in November, very much in jeopardy right now. So Ron on Monday said that Fitzpatrick is going to undergo an MRI exam in two weeks. That will put us into November. And Ron soon thereafter was asked whether Fitzpatrick is on schedule in his recovery. And uh, Don Ron, shall we say, was not thrilled with that question. Here was the exchange in its entirety. We begin with the question from Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. One quick follow-up on, on Fitz. Is he on the schedule you expected? or? Okay, so again, um, I was told by the doctors that he'll get an MRI in a couple weeks and they'll evaluate then, Nikki. I, I can't tell you. I'll try to tell you guys. I, I gave no time frame. Okay. Okay. Uh, Gotcha, Ron. Boy, does he not like questions about injuries and timetables for recoveries from injuries, etc. You want to set Ron off, ask him about how soon someone will be back from an injury. I don't know, Ron, given the disaster that has been Curtis Samuel's groin injury, I think we're more than justified in asking some questions about players' injury recoveries, especially considering that this particular player was supposed to be your starting quarterback this season, and especially considering that your head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion, is on administrative leave uh, off the DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department on October 1st, having conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. But hey, that's just me. Uh, But all right, most head coaches don't love talking about injuries, so I can forgive Ron for that. But the main point here is that Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't close to being ready to play. Again, he's not even going to undergo an MRI exam for another two weeks. So right now, Washington's starting quarterback is either Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen. And Ron on Monday continued to sound like a head coach who has not soured on Taylor Heineke. So as we discussed on Monday's show, episode 173. Heineke in the loss at the Packers was mixed. He bounced back from back-to-back bad performances, but he wasn't great, and anybody who watched the game understands that. Heineke went 25 of 37 for 268 yards. That's 7.24 yards per pass attempt. He had a touchdown pass, also had an interception. He took four sacks, including a sack strip for a lost fumble, and he had 10 carries for 95 yards and a fumble that he recovered. He quarterbacked a Washington offense That was far from efficient. Uh, Washington went just 4 of 11 on third downs, went just 1 of 4 on fourth downs, and went 0 of 4 in the red zone. And that's what sticks with you more than anything if you're a Washington fan from this game. Washington 0 of 4 in the red zone despite the Packers' defense having allowed a touchdown on each of its opponents' 15 red zone possessions in the 2021 regular season entering this game. Yeah, opposing teams had been 15 of 15 in the red zone against his Packers defense this season until this past Sunday, during which Washington went 0-4 in the red zone. Uh, Heineke's 95 rushing yards were the second most rushing yards by a Washington quarterback in a game in franchise history. Now, yeah, some of those yards did come 
in garbage time. But still, Heineke, off having had zero rushing attempts in the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6, and off having been handcuffed in terms of running, uh, had the cuffs loosened last week, and the results were him authoring some big runs at the Packers. I love seeing this. Uh, second quarter, Taylor Heineke, the first and 10, 38-yard under center play action scramble up the A-gap. Third quarter, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun scramble. But of course, Heineke did not fully make the run that he should have made. Third quarter, third and goal at the three. Taylor Heineke dropping down too soon. And thus his left knee ends up being down at the one on what ended up being a two-yard shotgun scramble upon replay review. Uh, Heineke did the Lambo leap after what he thought was a touchdown run, ended up being a fake-me-out touchdown run. And then on the next snap, Heineke on a fourth and goal at the one, fumbled on a quarterback sneak run for no gain, did recover the football, did then extend the football past the goal line, but that did not count. He was ruled down prior to the extension. Washington challenged the play, but the initial call was upheld. There's still a lot of confusion about how exactly the officials officiated that latter play. But whatever the case may be, Taylor Heineke should have scored on the previous play, and he didn't. Ron Rivera on Monday on what he liked and did not like about Heineke's performance in the loss at the Packers. Well, obviously, I, the only thing you really you wish is, is, is on the touchdown or what wasn't a touchdown, you know, it, he just gets the ball across the goal line, um, you know, before he tries to protect himself. And, and, and that's, uh, that was unfortunate. And, um, other than that, I thought his performance was, was the type of performance that gives you a chance to win. All right. So right there, quote, the type of performance that gives you a chance to win, end quote. Uh, again, Ron Rivera does not sound like a head coach who is ready to bench Taylor Heineke. Should Taylor Heineke be benched? No, he should not. To me, there's no compelling reason not to give Heineke at least a bit longer as Washington's starting quarterback, to see what happens. I'm under no delusions that Heineke is going to bust out and become Patrick Mahomes, but what exactly are you moving on to right now if you bench Taylor Heineke? Ryan Fitzpatrick is not close to being ready to play and may not play again this season, and Kyle Allen sure doesn't seem to be someone in whom Ron has a lot of faith. Uh, Ron excluded Kyle Allen from the quarterback competition talk of this past June. And Ron, the previous Monday, October 18th, when asked whether he has considered making the switch to Kyle Allen as Washington's starting quarterback, gave a pretty clear-cut response of, no, I'm not even considering doing that. So Heineke, for better or for worse, is Washington's starting quarterback right now. And the shine does appear to be coming off Heineke. He has not had a truly good game since the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four, he has been so-so or poor in four of Washington's last five games. What's tricky is deciding whether Heineke having been so-so or poor in four of the last five games is due to his inexperience or due to this just being who he is. Remember, Taylor Heineke has made just seven starts, regular season and postseason as a Washington quarterback. Uh, he has made just eight starts, regular season and postseason as an NFL quarterback, determining who a quarterback is and can be based on eight starts is pretty ridiculous, okay? I mean, that's the other thing about Kyle Allen. He has made 17 regular season starts. Still not a very large sample size, but that's more than twice the starts that Heineke has made. If you are someone who just doesn't think that there's much more to Heineke than what we've already seen, I hear you, and you may well be right. But here's the name that I've thought about, and some of you are going to laugh at this, but 
Kirk. As in, yes, Kirk Cousins. As in, yes, he who shall not be named, even though I just named him. I'm a little bit more process-oriented. Yes, Kirk, hello. Uh, Many people have had many comps for Taylor Heineke, okay? We have heard Jeff Garcia. We have heard Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm not saying that Taylor Heineke plays like Kirk Cousins. Taylor Heineke does not play like Kirk Cousins. But what I am saying is this. So we first saw Kirk Cousins as a Washington starting quarterback for a game in 2012 and then for multiple games in 2013 and 2014. And Kirk was so-so at best. I mean, he in fact had some terrible games in that 2014 season and got benched that season. Kirk, though, then was installed as Washington starting quarterback for the 2015 season on August 31st, 2015, the day that I refer to as the Kirk Cousins coup, because it was on that day that Jay Gruden moved on from Robert Griffin III and crowned Kirk as Washington starting quarterback for not just week one of the 2015 season, but for the entirety of the 2015 season. And Kirk ended up being very good that season and then ended up being very good the next season. 2016. And my point here is that it wasn't evident right away what Kirk Cousins could be. And look, what Kirk Cousins ultimately became was a top 12, top 15 quarterback in the NFL at his best. I mean, you could say right now that he's not a top 12, top 15 NFL quarterback. Depends on how you want to evaluate things. But peak Kirk Cousins, whenever you feel that peak was achieved, was a top 12, top 15 quarterback in the NFL. And that's what I have wondered about with Taylor Haneke. Could he become a top 12, top 15 type quarterback in the NFL? Because the Haneke who produced at the level at which he produced in the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card game last January and in the win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in week two was a top 12, top 15 type NFL quarterback. But the Heineke, who we have seen since that win over the Giants, has not been a top 12, top 15 type NFL quarterback. Ron Rivera on Monday was asked for his evaluation of Taylor Heineke so far this season. When, when he plays his personality, uh, you can see that you can see the, 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 the to me, you can see the, the positive. You, you see his ability to move the team. You see his ability to make plays. Um, one of the things that we've kind of fallen off lately has been scoring in the red zone, especially in the last two weeks. We've had opportunities. We haven't done it. Um, to me, when you see him play cautious, is, is I think he has a tendency to make mistakes. He's prone to those things. Um, I, I do think that based on the things that we've seen and some of the misplays he's had, uh, I think that shows his inexperience. Because there are a couple things uh, that when you watch some of the tape and you see some of the plays as they break down, you sit there and say, wow, you know, it, it, now I think he'll understand that he's got to throw it this way. Now I think he understands yeah. that when he sees this type of roll by the corner coming down into position, I know I've got that throw to make. That Those are the type of things I think we're starting to see um, that some of his inexperience is showing. Um, but I think obviously he has the skill set that you're looking for. He does have the ability to lead. Um, but he's still, you know, young in terms of, of actual opportunities and experience as a, as a quarterback in the league so far. So what you hear there from Ron is this idea of Heineke growing. And look, maybe Ron is just being nice in how he's talking 
and Ron is just being supportive in how he's talking. But again, you don't really get the sense that Ron is super down on Heineke. One thing with Heineke that remains a problem is inaccuracy. Uh, He does miss on throws. And when he misses, he tends to miss high, right? Go back to the loss at the Packers. Second quarter, the snap right before Chris Blewett's second quarter 42-yard field goal attempt that was blocked. Taylor Heineke threw too high on a third and five deep shotgun incompletion intended for Terry McLaurin, who was open. That was a big miss by Heineke. Uh, First quarter, the snap right before Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass, the first and 10 40-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin was a Heineke first and 10 12-yard shotgun play-action completion to a wide-open McLaurin on a pass that was high. Ron on Monday on why Heineke will throw too high. I, I, I think, obviously, there is some mechanics to it. You, you, when you watch some of his body posture, you see he tends to throw a, with a little bit of weight on his, on his back uh, foot and hasn't really transferred through on the throw. Um, I, I think sometimes it has been him just trying to be too perfect. You know, he had Terry, he had Terry one time. He had um, Dax Milnes another time that if he delivers a better ball and, and those guys don't have to try and go up and make those plays, um, they have a chance to make the catches. Uh, and, and, and again, I think some of it is sometimes I think his internal clock will speed up and he may throw a little fast. And again, I'm, I'm just guessing as far as those things are concerned. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying as far as uh, he does miss high at times. All right. So you can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rob on Taylor Heineke. Writes Rob, I don't understand why everyone is in such a rush to being resigned to Taylor Heineke being a backup. That may very well be who he is, but why the rush? I watched J.P. Finley after the game, who I love to listen to and watch, and he basically said that Taylor Heineke clearly is a backup. Where does that come from? Do you think it's because he was undrafted and out of the league? At this point, it's crystal clear that 32 teams missed on him being a backup. If Washington traded for Deshaun Watson tomorrow and released Taylor Heineke, he wouldn't be long for a job as a backup. So if they missed on that at this point, it's still possible they missed on him being a starter. He should at least play out the string. Al, what say you? No, I'm not dating Sabah. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rob. I love how Sabah has become the flag waver of the Taylor Heineke revolution. Uh, J.P. Finley, by the way, will be my guest on Wednesday's show, episode 175. So I think that we've had a few things going on with how Taylor Heineke is perceived. Number one, because most people had never heard of Taylor Heineke prior to last season and saw that he played collegiately at Old Dominion and saw that he was undrafted and saw that he had done very little in the NFL, they dismissed him as having any chance of doing anything well in that game against the Bucks last January. And those people, plenty of whom are in the media, were made to look like fools, okay? I mean, that's where you start. And so a lot of those people, who I like to call the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the Tay-Tay haters, the Taters, uh, have been on this continuing quest to validate their initial opinions by not crediting Heineke for the good things that he does, or minimizing the credit for the good things that he does, and making sure that everyone knows that this guy can't be an NFL starting quarterback, even though what these people are conveniently doing, right, is moving the goalposts, because these people initially said that Heineke basically had no place in the NFL, and they were dead wrong about that. 
Number two, because Heineke is undrafted and was viewed by NFL teams a certain way initially, he has to basically do twice as much as a quarterback who was, say, taken in the first round of an NFL draft to be taken seriously as a starting NFL quarterback, because there is always going to be this bias against Heineke, because NFL people, just like the Taters, don't want to be proven wrong. And let's be honest, it's much easier to move on from a Taylor Heineke than it is to move on from a first-round quarterback, even though, funny enough, Washington did just that with Dwayne Haskins last December off a game in which he was replaced by, wait for it, Taylor Heineke, and was outplayed by, wait for it, Taylor Heineke. And number three, there is validity to the idea that Taylor Heineke has a lower ceiling than a quarterback who was taken in the first round of an NFL draft. I mean, Heineke does have accuracy issues. Heineke does make bad decisions. Heineke doesn't have great arm strength. Heineke has had a hard time staying healthy at the NFL level. Like these concerns slash criticisms are real and legitimate. Bottom line, there's a really good chance that Washington is going to be franchise quarterback shopping this offseason. I would not be surprised at all if Washington is the team that makes the biggest move up in the 2022 NFL draft to take a quarterback. You know, this 2021 season does feel like Washington's season of 10 years ago, 2011, a season that left you with the undeniable conclusion of, we need a franchise quarterback. And so wouldn't it be something 10 years later Washington doing as it did for that 2012 draft, trading up to take a potential franchise quarterback. I would not be surprised if that's what Washington does for the 2022 NFL draft. But we are not into the 2022 offseason just yet. We still have 10 games left in Washington's 2021 regular season. And so for now, Taylor Heineke is Washington's starting quarterback, and he should be Washington's starting quarterback. That can change, but right now, That's where I stand. Well, if you need a law firm to stand up for you, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans have known the Naces for more than 25 years. These are good people, smart people, and these are successful people. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. That's where Paulson and Nace comes in. Founding partner Barry Nace has tried more medical malpractice cases to verdict in Washington, D.C. than any other plaintiff's attorney. If you're looking for a lawyer, ask yourself this. Do you want an attorney who talks about unverified successful cases, or do you want a law firm that has fought the good fight for decades? That is Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace 
that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, more now on the Washington football team. Let's talk about Washington's defense. So the biggest indictment by far of this 2021 Washington defense is how its performance in this 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon is being treated like some moral victory, okay? I was very particular on Monday's show, episode 173, with how I talked about Washington's defensive performance in the game. Washington's defense was decent. That was it. That was as far as I was willing to go. Decent as in non-offensive, as in not a disaster. Washington's defensive performance in the loss at the Packers was just decent. Washington's defense gave the team a chance to win. Okay, fine, you know, hip, hip, hooray, as uh, George Allen and Jim Zorn would say. That's not what this Washington defense was supposed to be, just decent, okay? Just giving the team a chance to win. This was supposed to be, if not a dominant defense, then a great defense, a top five, certainly top 10 defense in the NFL. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, each a year older, a year wiser, a year better. Uh, Matt Ioannidis, back healthy, a linebacking core that added the number 19 overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft in Jamin Davis, a secondary that added William Jackson the third and Bobby McCain in free agency and Benjamin St. Juice in the draft and welcome back Landon Collins from injury. Washington's defense was supposed to lead the way this season. Washington's defense was supposed to shoulder the load this season. All of this Taylor Heineke talk is funny to me. This Washington football team season was supposed to be about the defense, not the starting quarterback, right? And yet, what has happened? The starting quarterback, who wasn't even supposed to be the starting quarterback, has been better than the defense. That the defense may well have had its best performance of the season in this loss at the Packers tells you how bad the defense has been this season. Also says something about William Jackson the third. right? He was inactive for this game at the Packers due to a knee injury. So as you may recall, it was the previous Monday, October 18th, that Ron Rivera, during his day after the game Zoom press conference, said, quote, my approach probably has to be a little bit different, end quote, regarding Washington's struggling defense and really the team overall. Uh, The changing approach of last week included Landon Collins essentially being moved from safety to linebacker. More on that in a bit. But here was Ron on Monday at his day after the game Zoom press conference on if he is changing anything with his approach this week as Washington gets set to play at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be exactly like we did last week. There, there's, there's a lot of things that we harped on, a lot of things that we've really focused in on, and we'll continue to do that, uh, especially in practice. Uh, I think the, you know, the demand will be obviously to, 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 to get better, get a little bit better each time. And uh, that's exactly how we will approach this game, uh, is that there's an opportunity to win. Um, this is a, uh, a game that uh, is, is, I think, is very important going into the bye because it could, it could really set the tone and tempo for us going into it and something we can build on as we come out of it, come out of the bye. So, um, you know, the focus obviously will be to improve and, and, and to prepare. 
All right, so apparently no changing approach for this week. The Broncos are three and four. Washington is two and five. Now remember, Washington was one and five last season, then went six and four the rest of the regular season to win the NFC East at seven and nine. Ron Rivera on Monday on if there are things that he is wanting to see from this season's team at two and five that he ended up seeing from last season's team off it having been one and five. Well, more consistency in terms of offense, defense, special teams as far as play. You know, um, we, we, we put ourselves in position, we make some plays, uh, then we give up some plays. And, and we've got, what we've got to do is be more consistent where we, we, we follow success. We have a successful series, have another successful series. Um, and that, I think, is what helps us more than anything. And it's, it's something that we saw last year as we got better and better. It was because I think we played much more consistent, sound football. Yeah, so this isn't just about the defense, but again, the defense was supposed to lead the way, and the defense isn't leading the way. The defense too often has gotten in the way. Now, going back to the defense's performance in the loss at the Packers, the defense was mixed. On the one hand, Washington held the Packers to just 24 points, held the Packers to just 5.74 yards per play. You like those numbers. On the other hand, Washington allowed the Packers to go 6-12 on third downs, and Washington got carved up by Aaron Rodgers, who went 27 of 35 for 274 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions, and had two carries for 17 yards, including a big 15-yard scramble. The defense was mixed, but that's not what Washington's defense was supposed to be this season. Washington's defense was supposed to be very good, if not great. And to me, the conversation about Washington's defense off this loss at the Packers really illustrates how much the bar has been lowered for this 2021 Washington defense. Up next, some playing time observations regarding Washington's defense in the loss at the Packers. Did you see what Landon Collins' playing time ended up being? Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Washington football team season continues and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets because TickPick that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you're looking to see Washington take on Tom Brady and the Bucks at FedEx Field on November 14th or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We continue with the Washington football team conversation right now, talking Washington's defense off the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon. Some playing time observations for you. I always think it's worth looking at who is playing and for how much, because there is that which we are told and that which is done. And that which is done is so much more important than that which we are told. So Chase Young's playing time was up. On Sunday, Chase Young in a loss at the Packers played on 84% of Washington's defensive snaps. This off his playing time percentage having declined in each of the previous four games. This is something that I'd been talking about on the podcast. Uh, Chase's playing time percentages from weeks one through six were 86, 91, 89, 80, 79, and 74%. So we had seen a pretty steady decline beginning with going from week two to week three and moving forward. I thought that Chase on Sunday had another game in which he was, you know, all right. He did do some good things, but he wasn't special, you know, and he has not been special this season, but his playing time percentage was up for the loss at the Packers. Montez Sweat did have a good game on Sunday. Montez finished with a sack, three quarterback hits, and a forced fumble. He, per pro football focus, was Washington's second highest graded player in the game, at 76.6, although Montez played on just 68% of Washington's defensive snaps. Montez, for whatever reason, does not play on as many snaps as you'd think. Maybe less is more for Montez. His playing time percentages from weeks one through six were 65, 88, 70, 79, 68, 
and 71%. Uh, Jack Del Rio does like to rotate his edge rushers. That's pretty clear. James Smith-Williams on Sunday played on 25% of Washington's defensive snaps. Casey Tuhill on Sunday played on 12% of Washington's defensive snaps. And Bunmi Rotimi got run on Sunday. Yes, Bunmi Rotimi. You may remember him from the preseason. He on Sunday played on 11% of Washington's defensive snaps. Shaka Tony was inactive for the sixth time in seven games this season. Uh, Shaka did deal with an illness last week. Interior defensive lineman for Washington. Deron Payne played on 75% of Washington's defensive snaps. Jonathan Allen only played on 62% of Washington's defensive snaps, and yet he had a big game on Sunday. Allen finished with two sacks and three quarterback hits. Matt Ioannidis only played on 48% of Washington's defensive snaps, but he, for pro football focus, was Washington's highest graded player in the game at 81.5. Tim Settle played on 14% of Washington's defensive snaps. Linebackers, here's where things really get juicy. So Washington is without John Bostic. He was placed on the reserve injured list on October 5th due to a torn pectoral muscle that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Cole Holcomb on Sunday again played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. He has been an Ironman for Washington this season. But how about Jamin Davis? Jamin Davis on Sunday played on 98% of Washington's defensive snaps. That really stands out because Jamin had played on just 23% of Washington's defensive snaps in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5, then played on 56% of Washington's defensive snaps and the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6. So Jamin has gone from 23% of Washington's defensive snaps just a few weeks ago to 98% of Washington's defensive snaps in this loss at the Packers on Sunday. Now, Jamin, to me, was mixed on Sunday, like Washington's defense overall. Uh, Some bad moments for Jamin. First quarter, Jamin Davis failed on an attempted tackle of tight end Mercedes Lewis on an Aaron Rodgers second and 10 12-yard under center completion to Lewis. Third quarter, Jamin Davis got beat by tight end Robert Tunyon on Aaron Rodgers' third and three 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Tunyon. Ensuing extra point gave the Packers a 21-7 lead. Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, on what Jamin should have done differently on that touchdown reception for Tunyon. Well, the biggest thing on that is you'd like to see Jamin, I, I, I don't disagree, get his hands on him a little bit first. Secondly, then he's got to understand where his leverage help is and then work to, 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 to the, that position. Um, in that particular defense, he had post help. So at the snap of the ball, as you said, you'd like to see him get his hands on it then convert, get to the outside, because knowing that that guy runs a post route, he's going to run right into the safety. And if he runs a seven or an out, he's going to run right to where Jamin is. Um, and that's an experience thing. The more Jamin plays, the more he works, the more he gets into that situation where he's playing that particular coverage in that particular situation. Um, he'll know and he'll learn, you know, that, hey, based on this, I've got to go ahead and convert to an outside position because my leverage is to the inside. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? A Washington linebacker getting beat in coverage by a tight end that had never happened before. And then there is Landon Collins. So I'm grouping Landon now. With the linebackers, Landon in the loss at the Packers played on just 43% of Washington's defensive snaps. This was the first game since Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference the previous Wednesday afternoon, October 20th, 
said of Landon, quote, he's a downhill attacking style of player, and we've got to make sure we're putting him in position to have success for us, end quote. And then Ron later in the presser said of Landon, quote, we really believe he's a downhill player, end quote. And then Landon, in a post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon, said that he had, in fact, been playing more at linebacker and wasn't necessarily a fan. Quote, do I like playing linebacker? No, not at all. I don't like hitting big linemen, getting big linemen off me. I'm undersized for being a linebacker. I don't want to play down there, but if need to, yeah, I'm good at it. End quote. Well, Landon's playing time percentages from weeks one through six of this season were 80, 75, 58, 100, 100, and 83%. Landon's playing time percentage for the loss at the Packers on Sunday afternoon, again, was a mere 43%. You know the nursery rhyme, London Bridge is falling down? Uh, This is Landon's playing time is falling down. So here's the thing with this Landon Collins linebacker stuff and him having only played on 43% of Washington's defensive snaps in the loss at the Packers on Sunday afternoon speaks to this. This is not so much about Landon's position, you know, or even Landon's deployment. This is about Landon Collins, the football player right now. He's just not that good, okay? Especially in pass coverage. Now, Landon has been bad in pass coverage for years, but the sort of dirty little secret that nobody seems to want to talk about is that Landon is not the great in-the-box player that people keep saying that he is. Uh, Landon Collins, over the last few seasons, has missed a lot of tackles. Landon Collins is coming off a ruptured Achilles injury from last season. Landon Collins is not the player he used to be, and that's even when you factor in, well, he was never great in pass coverage to begin with. Why he was put into pass coverage situations as often as he was prior to this past Sunday, I will never understand. And, you know, Landon playing at linebacker or playing in a linebacker-like role right now does not eradicate the possibility of him being in pass coverage moving forward. But this is what this truly is about. How do you hide Landon Collins? You know, there seems to be this insistence on playing Landon Collins. I don't really understand that, but there seems to be this thing of, well, we have to play him, so what can we do here to best hide his weaknesses? That's what this really is about. Okay, the notion that like Landon Collins is going to kill it as a linebacker. Uh, Look, man, I'm rooting for the guy. I hope that he does. But I'm not holding my breath on something like that. And the fact that he in this game on Sunday played on just 43% of Washington's defensive snaps, I think tells you a lot. And I think that may also be a big part of why Landon doesn't like this changing of his role, because it's going to mean a lot less playing time for him moving forward. We'll see. Uh, Kalik Hudson did not play, by the way, on any of Washington's defensive snaps. In terms of playing time for Washington's secondary in the loss at the Packers, we'll start with the corners. So William Jackson III was inactive due to a knee injury. Kendall Fuller, as expected, played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Benjamin St. Juice played on 98% of Washington's defensive snaps. And Danny Johnson, who was active for just the second time in three games on Washington's active roster this season, played on 61% of Washington's defensive snaps. Washington signed Johnson from the practice squad to the active roster on October 5th. Danny Johnson had not played on a single defensive snap for Washington since December 2019, and yet he was out there a lot 
on Sunday. And he had some good moments. First quarter, Danny Johnson made a big tackle on an Aaron Rodgers third and three shotgun completion to running back Aaron Jones for no gain. Third quarter, Danny Johnson had a forced fumble that the Packers recovered as uh, Johnson tackled running back A.J. Dillon and dislodged the football on an Aaron Rodgers third and seven four-yard shotgun completion to Dillon. But Danny Johnson also got picked on in this game. And the drive that stands out the most in that regard, the Packers' fourth offensive drive, nine plays, 72 yards, resulted in Aaron Rodgers' third and five, 10-yard shotgun back shoulder touchdown pass to receiver Alan Lazard, who beat Danny Johnson with 15 seconds left in the second quarter. Ensuing extra point gave the Pack a 14-7 lead. And also on that drive, fourth snap of the drive, Washington gave up an Aaron Rodgers third and two, 13-yard shotgun completion to Lazard, who beat Johnson. So Danny Johnson was far from perfect, but you know what? The guy hadn't played on a single regular season defensive snap in almost two full years. So I don't know what the expectation really should have been in that way. Remember, Washington is without both Torrey McTire and Daryl Roberts. Each guy is on the reserve injured list. And Washington continues to not play Troy Apke on defense. Troy Apke on Sunday did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps for the seventh time in as many games this season. Uh, Safeties Bobby McCain played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Cameron Curl played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. And DeShazer Everett remained on a milk carton when it came to playing on defense. He continues to play a bunch on special teams, but DeShazer Everett still has not played on a single Washington defensive snap this season. I don't get it, but uh, there must be a reason for it because, again, he has been buried when it comes to playing on defense this season. So that's where we are right now with this Washington defense. It's very aggravating to me. This defense was supposed to be really good, if not great. Instead, it has been bad. It was decent on Sunday in this loss at the Packers, but decent isn't good enough. Decent doesn't cut it. Decent isn't what this defense is supposed to be, especially when you consider this too. The defense is largely healthy. I mean, I know that William Jackson third was inactive on Sunday, but you could argue that was addition by subtraction with the season that Jackson has been having. But, you know, Washington's offense, yes, it's not good, but also, yes, it's ravaged by injury right now. You cannot say that about Washington's defense. Washington's defense is largely healthy and yet still has had the problems that the defense has had. And so here we are now at two and five with a game at the three and four Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. Then comes Washington's bye week. But then after that, guess who will be on display? Yes, the reigning defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field for week 10, Sunday afternoon, November 14th at one o'clock. The Bucks look outstanding right now. The Bucks demolished the Chicago Bears this past Sunday, 38-3. Tom Brady, in his age 44 season, through games on Sunday, was number two in the NFL among qualified quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR at 69.4. Brady, so far this season, 21 touchdown passes versus three interceptions. Not bad. Ron Rivera, on Monday, on how to motivate the Washington football team at two and five with, keep this in mind, the NFC East having maybe not yet been decided, but certainly having a clear-cut favorite 
in the Dallas Cowboys. You know, it's funny with Washington. Washington is technically second in the NFC East, even though Washington, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the New York Giants, each team has a two and five record. But you have the Dallas Cowboys at five and one with a point differential of plus 59, by far the class of the division so far. There won't be any winning of the NFC East at seven and nine this season. And so Ron on Monday on what his guys have in front of them moving forward this season. Well, what's in front of us, we still have 10 games left to play, obviously. Um, and anything can happen if you take them one at a time. And, and again, what I'm hoping for and looking for is for us to start playing consistent football, uh, better football. I, I get it. You know, I, I know the expectations were high uh, coming into this year. And uh, the truth of the matter is we haven't lived up to those. Uh, the thing that we have to do more than anything else is continue to work hard, continue to prepare and take it one game at a time, focus in on that one game and quite honestly, win. Yeah, just win, baby. Just win. Look, it may be that Washington is better off losing much more than winning the rest of this season so as to get better draft position. But winning would mean that things aren't as bad as they appear to be right now. Winning might even mean that this defense isn't the disaster that it has been for most of this season. And so I don't know about you, but I am open to winning this season. So long as that winning is confirmation of things getting better and being better. The problem with the way that things are right now is it just feels like nothing is going well, and nobody feels good about that. Well, what a game for the Capitals on Monday night. A 7-5 win at the Ottawa Senators. This game was drunk, uh, but this game was another Caps win. The Caps now are 4-0-2 this season. Yeah, the Caps have recorded at least a point in each of their six games this season. But this game at the Senators on Monday night was nuts. The Caps blew a 4-1 second period lead, but still won the game. Uh, The Caps led 4-1 at the end of the first period, then allowed three consecutive goals in the second period, but then won the rest of the game 3-1. Uh, The two teams combined for five goals in each of the first two periods. 11 of the 12 goals in the game were even strength goals. In fact, the Caps scored seven goals at five on five on Monday night, marking the Caps' highest such total in a game since February 2011. Again, this game was bonkers. Uh, The Caps won Despite more problems on special teams, Caps went 0 of 1 on the power play. Caps went just 2 of 3 on the penalty kill. And the Caps won despite a roller coaster of a game for Ilya Samsonov. So he was the Caps starting goaltender for just the second time in six games this season. Samsonov stopped just 32 of the 37 shots on goal that he faced, but he got tested a ton. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped 14 of the 16 high danger shots on goal that he faced. Yeah, the Caps per natural stat trick gave up 16 high danger shots on goal in this game. That is a sky high total. And Samsonov, to his credit, stopped 14 of those 16 high danger shots on goal. Uh, Samsonov per natural stat trick stopped all seven of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced. The problem was that Samsonov gave up multiple cheapy goals. Uh, Samsonov per natural stat trick stopped just 10 of the 13 low danger shots on goal that he faced. So you had things from Samsonov in this game that you loved, and you had things from Samsonov in this game that you couldn't stand. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters on Samsonov's night. 
There was probably a couple that he'd like back, and then there was a couple where, you know, they were incredible saves. And so um, that's probably the best way to describe it. He made, a, he made a lot of good saves. Yes, he did. And one of the biggest reasons that the Caps ended up winning the game was TJ Oshie. He notched his fifth career regular season hat trick. Yeah, Oshie, Captain America with the hattie on Monday night. Uh, Oshie scored two first period even strength goals and a second period even strength goal. Oshie's third goal was an even strength goal 1952 into the second period on a wraparound goal on which he got a loose puck behind the net and then muscled the puck around the left goal post for the goal. Oshie scored three goals on three shots on goal. Rather efficient, wouldn't you say? Uh, Laviolette after the game on Oshie's night. He was, uh, I thought he was really good tonight. I mean, he worked really hard. Um, he turned over a lot of pucks. I thought his line was good. But you could notice, oh, she was, he was moving and he was making a difference just by the forecheck and turning things over. Also, another big game for Alex Ovechkin. Uh, Ovi with two even strand goals, a game high tying six shots on goal, and a game high 10 total shots. Ovechkin is killing it so far this season. He has of games through Monday night is number one in the NHL with seven goals this season. Ovechkin scored an unassisted even strength goal 16-27 into the second period for a 5-4 Caps lead on a breakaway wrister in the low slot off having blocked a shot in the Caps defensive zone and then getting to the loose puck in the neutral zone. And Ovechkin scored an even strength goal 10-46 into the third period on a wrister from the high slot with his left leg inside the left circle off a really nice pass from Tom Wilson from the right corner. Connor McMichael had two assists for his first two career NHL regular season points. McMichael, very highly regarded prospect. Caps took him with the number 25 pick in the first round of the 2019 NHL draft. This game was not pretty, but this game had a ton of offense. The Caps brought the firepower, and the Caps won again. Caps have yet to have not gotten at least a point out of a game this season. Next up for the Caps, home to the Detroit Red Wings, Wednesday night at 7. All right, so the Capitals got another win on Monday night. The Wizards, though, did not. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, Stephen A., that team, our team. Uh, the Wizards are unbeaten no more this NBA season. They fell to 2-1, and one, a 104-90 loss at the Brooklyn Nets on Monday night. Nets were without LaMarcus Aldridge, who did not play due to rest, but this game was a no-doubter. Wizards never led after the first quarter. The Wizards trailed by as many as 18 points in the first quarter, 25 points in the second quarter, 18 points in the third quarter, and 19 points in the fourth quarter. And what this game came down to was the Wizards' offense. The Wizards were horrendous offensively. Too much iso ball, not enough ball movement, and the Wizards just didn't make shots. You know, it's one thing if you're going to go iso a ton and you make a bunch of shots. The Wizards did not make a bunch of shots in this game. Wizards went just 9 of 39 on threes. The Wizards went just 24 of 56 on twos. Wizards did get back Bradley Beal from his one-game absence that was caused by a right hip contusion, but Beal went just 3 of 13 on threes, committed five turnovers in 31 minutes, 45 seconds as a starter. Kyle Kuzma went 0 of 5 on threes, although he did have 13 rebounds in just 26-56 
as a starter. Spencer Dinwiddie went just two of six on threes and just one of seven on twos, although he did have six assists versus no turnovers in 25-40 as a starter. Uh, Denny Avdia, 0 of 4 on threes in 19-10 off the bench. Davi Spurtons, 0 of 2 on threes and scoreless in 20-48 off the bench. A lot of ugly numbers for the Wizards. Head coach West Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference. Uh, the biggest takeaway was our offense. Uh, we just got stagnant. And yeah, I think a lot of that was the switching. It's, it's given us problems before. And we kind of settle and fall into that, you know, playing a lot of one-on-one ISO ball, and it, it's it's tough. Um, still got decent looks out of it at times, but they didn't fall. So it just kind of compounds itself and, and takes on a snowball effect. Um, I think you kind of lose a little bit of our identity on that end of the floor. Yeah, as for why the Wizards did not move the ball more in this loss at the Nets on Monday night. Um, it's something we've talked about because we've seen it before and we're going to see it again. Uh, at times, we've handled it correctly. Uh, so it's just a challenge of, you know, being disciplined to, to try to do the right thing. And that, that doesn't mean I want guys not to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's one or two possessions and things haven't gone right, then let's get back to what we're trying to do. Um, the spacing, the ball movement, even the body movement, it just creates angles and creates enough room that if you do have an ISO, um, gives the guy a chance to play. First half, we guarded ourselves. So uh, really put ourselves in a a bind. Yeah, you know, the Wizards were not a great offensive team last season, and they're not good enough offensively this season to play a lot of iso ball, you know, to play hero ball. The Wizards have got to move the ball, have got to generate spacing. They're not good enough shooters, especially on threes, to play like the team played at the Nets on Monday night. And you could hear the frustration in Wes's voice. The shame of this game is that the Wizards actually played pretty well defensively. You know, the Wizards held the Nets to just 10 to 35 on threes, held James Harden to just one of eight on threes, held the Virginia product Joe Harris to just three of 11 on threes. And while Kevin Durant got his, it's not like Kevin Durant went off like we know Kevin Durant can. Uh, The Wizards held Durant to 25 points on nine of 17 shooting. Uh, Also, Haul Neto left the game with an apparent left shoulder injury. So we'll have to see uh, where Neto is at. But remember, the Wizards are already without Rui Hachimura, of him having missed the start of Wizards training camp due to personal reasons. And the Wizards are without Thomas Bryant as he continues to recover from that season-ending partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January. Next up for the Wizards at the Boston Celtics, Wednesday night at 7.30. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday's show, episode 175, will feature a special guest, Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, the host of the Washington Football Talk podcast, the co-host of B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan. Always enjoy talking Washington football with J.P. We'll get into a lot with the team. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Keep hope. Keep hope. Alive. Alive. Keep hope. Keep hope. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.